Well, hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, June 22nd. I am Rafael Garcia, and we are back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. And I am alone right now. My um, partner, Schwan Humes, has not jumped on the show. I know, I think he was with his children earlier. I heard him actually at a basketball practice earlier today, so you never know. You never know um, if you'll be able to join us later on today. But hey, you know, we're going to keep this train on rolling. Sorry, just getting the show up on Twitter so you can check us out and follow the link. Um, we got a, quite a bit to talk about hell the NBA draft is also going on tonight so um, yeah it's funny because I'm actually going to kind of lead into that anyway I'm sorry my fault my attention was getting drugged all over the place but yes we are back for another edition of the MMA ratings podcast we got quite a bit to talk about today we have Let's see. We got some news we want to cover, of course. As always, we try to bring you some commentary on the biggest pieces of news every week. We also want to talk about Bellator 180. It's a pretty good card that's going down this weekend. And we have UFC Fight Night 112, a card that is deceptively better than it looks. So we have, as always, we have some analysis that we want to break down and talk to you about. So um, once again... So once again, I just want to sit here and have a discussion about everything that we got going on. So first and foremost, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners, everyone who checks us out every week um, and listens to the show. Be be sure to like and share our content across all social media. And be sure to um, share us on Facebook, share us on on, on, uh, Twitter as well. Click the like button in the bottom of podcast be sure to click us up there and say um hello say hi see how we're doing but as, as always i just want to say thanks again for checking out our content uh Shawan, is that you yes sir hey man what's up i heard you were uh earlier when you chimed in it sounded like you were at a basketball practice man what you doing you uh are they coaching the girls uh yeah my girls they got their last tournament they're going to san antonio uh i was telling them because they're like the best players on the team and some of the other kids we slack it because they they're lazy in practice, so they think you can keep up with them. And I'm like, what you should be doing is killing them every practice to force them to get better. So they were just out there killing them today, man. Just steals, points, blocks, rebounds. Are like you, you like, gotta run them off the floor? Are you like the uh, the Levar um, Levar Ball out there though? Is that what you're doing? I don't go that far over the top, but I believe in my kids, and I, and I I'm actually involved. Like I'm not the parent who just sits there and criticizes. If I'm gonna criticize, I'm gonna help you. And I'm going to support you, and I'll fight for you, and I'll fight for you to get opportunities. So in that instance, yeah. But I know when I know when to be quiet. I wouldn't go over there saying I could take out Anderson Silva in a fight. That's what Levar would say. <laughs> I ain't saying that. Good, good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I kind of want you out there embarrassing yourself. No, um, no. We, I got kids. I can't do that. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff, man. So uh, we got quite a bit to talk about today. Thank you for finding some time to um, join us, and I want to jump right in. And let's talk about some of the news that we have going on for this week. I want to, um, you know, it's funny. It looks like we're still two months out from Mayweather McGregor, but I feel like we're going to be talking about this nearly every week. 
um, I turned on the NBA draft tonight, and it's funny, they're talking about Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather at the top of the event, man. That right, I mean, that right there pretty much says it. We're talking about Conor yeah. McGregor, Floyd Mayweather, before the number one draft pick is even selected. Yeah, it's, it's a crossover story. It breaks every sort of barrier there is, and they're going to be talking about it over everything. Every sort of newscast, every sort of newspaper article is going to be discussing this fight. It's that big, and it's an event. I don't know how much of a fight it'll be, but it's going to be a historic event. Yeah, it's definitely a mega event, man. And I'm, um, I'm looking forward to. It. I'm, I'm, I'm buckled in, and I'm looking forward to the pump, uh, to the publicity, to the coverage that it gets. It's just going to be uh, a hell of a, a hell of a ride, and that kind of segues right into our first. Um, comment there. Um, how should this fight be covered? I think it's pretty interesting because it'll be interesting to see how media outlets cover it. I've already seen ESPN having some erroneous comments from some of their talking heads, and MMA. Some MMA outlets are kind of like doing the same thing for Connor. But I think there needs to be a fine balance. There needs to be a balance of truth when talking about this sport um, or talking about this event and what can potentially happen to both athletes. Yeah, I, I agree. The thing about it is it's the same thing. It's the same thing when MMA fans try to like, they'll say, oh, MMA is so much harder than pro football or, or basketball or something. Of course, it's fighting, so it's more difficult. But you don't know enough about the Y'all, they don't know enough about those sports to really comment intelligently. So they just say, oh, MMA's got better athletes than NBA and NFL. No, they don't. Not even close. And it's the same thing with the talking heads about fighting. They don't know enough about MMA and they don't know enough about boxing to really comment, but they've always got a microphone in front of their face. What they should do is be bringing in, like they do for other sports, they bring in people who write and cover bas basketball up close or football up close. They should bring other people in on the show to speak about MMA or speak about boxing or both if they're, if they're qualified to do it. That's what they really should be doing. Let some of their MMA representatives get some of this shine and actually have intelligent discussions about the fight and about the people involved. Yeah, man, it'd be interesting to see if there's really some true discussion when it comes to this um, event because it takes it takes some uh, it takes some real analysis to be able to talk about McGregor versus Mayweather in in an intelligent fashion. You know, this isn't this is an MMA fight. I don't want to hear about people talking about, well, if this was a real fight, McGregor will win, because this is not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with twelve rounds of boxing action, which is what Floyd's been doing for the better part of what? Twenty seven years, twenty seven of his forty years on this earth. So it'll be interesting to see how unbiased the commentary is and even for myself man because you know I'm, I'm a Mayweather fan and I rock with that dude and yeah it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how it, this is covered well the main the main thing about it is like like I said before because you, you cover you cover traditional sports as well and if you listen to the talk shows when they have they're covering like oh, we're going to talk about Cam Newton they call somebody who's either worked with him and who knew about him in college or or covers the team extensively as a pro or another pro player and they have them give their insight based on what they know of them. And that's what I'm saying they should do. They should get like, why don't you interview Max Holloway? Max Holloway fought Conor McGregor. He knows Conor, he has an, even though it's an MMA fight, he's an idea of Conor McGregor's hand speed. He has an idea of Conor McGregor's chin. He punched him. He's an idea of Conor McGregor's power. Now maybe it doesn't translate over exactly to boxing, but there's somebody who's experienced this power that now Mayweather is all of a sudden respectful of and, 
and this this length and this speed that Conor McGregor has, or they can call in other MMA guys. Sure, it's boxing, but you, you know a context in which he's competed. You can speak on his power and what he can do and what he can't do a little bit more precisely than uh, you know Skip Bayless or Shannon Sharp. And I like both those guys, but they don't know enough about the subject to to comment and pass the you know the basic stuff that everybody knows. Well, Conor will be bigger. He should be able to take. It's like you don't have anything else to offer. Bring somebody else who does to help the help the public have a better understanding of it, or just to help your ratings, so you don't sound like a complete moron just saying things that that, that typical uninformed fans would say. Yeah, and I think you have to be you have to be well versed. I think this is a this is an opportunity for people to be challenged to go outside of their comfort zone. You know, it would be interesting to see how maybe a Luke Thomas will cover this from a boxing perspective, or how a Max Kellerman will cover this from a um, MMA perspective. Can they be just? Can they be unbiased? Can they be um, succinct? Can they be uh, interesting and compelling in their commentary? And I think it'll be it'll be difficult to see which side can do which. Outside of outside of myself, because I, I watch a lot of boxing, and you you do you cover you don't watch boxing MMA, you can have an intelligent conversation. I I've like you know I've trained boxing. I've talked to a lot of coaches, talked to a lot of pros. So I'm I've and same thing with MMA. I can speak on intelligent as far as intelligently. Other MMA guys, Patrick Wyman, Conor Rebush are the only guys I know who have a, a good good enough understanding of striking and striking fundamentals to intelligently get the points across and actually show, okay, this is what Connor does in MMA. This is what translates over. This is why it will work. This is why it wouldn't. Because we all, with common sense, know that Connor McGregor's outgunned. But what you need to do is be able to intelligently communicate why some of the things he does could be effective. They probably won't, but explain why they could be and explain why what Floyd's going to do to take them away and what Floyd can do and what Connor could do in theory to take them away. But you have, like you said, you have to have guys who have a good enough knowledge base in both arenas so that they can express it intelligently and not not get picked apart by the the boxing hardcores or the MMA hardcores and not many not many MMA analysts have that kind of leverage and most of the boxing guys don't know enough about MMA to really even comment outside of commenting strictly on the boxing portion of it yeah and it's, it's probably difficult for them to kind of break down this fight in a new way to look at it look at it differently than they probably have in the past. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the media covers this spectacle, because that's really what it is at this point in time. Uh, if, I need to put it out there. If First Take or Colin Cowherd or Skip Fuck Bayless or Shannon Sharp, well, hey, if they need us to be on the show to comment, then we're free to do it. If they pay us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if they pay us. Like, let's go ahead and put it out there. Kind of, I ain't fucking with those guys for free, period. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, you, can you can check resources. You can talk to people. I know what I'm talking about. So if you want some actual, or you just want to pay me to give you the information you need to, to speak about so you don't sound like an idiot, I'll do that too. I'm we can to do help. that too. But yeah, well, I'm not here to help. I'm here to fuck shit up. But, you know, that's how that goes too. <laughs> so did you see what um, our boy Oscar De La Hoya said about the fight? You know, he's pissed. He's pissed because A, it was being made and he wasn't involved. And he's also pissed because it's going on a mere few weeks before his spectacle of a fight in um, – got Triple G versus Saul Canelo Alvarez. That was supposed to be the biggest fight of the year. There's another reason this match too. Why, why Miguel Cotto has a fight that weekend for a title oh, fight. Oh, yeah, he does. I forgot all about that. Yeah, so your, your, your fight, it's hard to get boxing fans in, and now you're having a fight on the same day as the biggest event probably in sport, combat sports history. I forgot so. all about that. He's taking all types of money out of... He's got a lot. He's 
No. Yeah. He, he's got a lot of reasons to be upset. I mean, like I said, Canelo, Canelo Triple G should still sell. It should still make money because, I mean, it's going to get all the boxing fans. But, you know, a lot of people, depending on how that Mayweather fight goes, if it just goes really badly, it could really it could really kind of do a little bit of a job on boxing because it's going to be a boxing match. It's not going to be an MMA match. No matter how much of a farce it is, that could really do boxing more harm than I, than I would think it would do MMA. But, I mean... He's a promoter. It's another promoter who's who's getting the fight. It's Floyd Mayweather making more money, and you know him and Floyd have a rivalry from years as being pros and amateurs. So they have a long-standing rivalry. So he's he's angry about this on multiple levels. It's the money thing. It's the Floyd thing. It's the way that it might be interfering with his biggest star, because you know you're gonna have a lot of fans spending a lot of money on that pay-per-view, and then a couple of weeks later his pay-per-view is gonna come through, which is also gonna be expensive. And you're gonna expect people to pay for that as well. So you know it's gonna make him wonder. Like if we do a million, maybe we could have done a million and a half or two million if we wouldn't have had this huge event right in front of us, kind of taking a lot of people's money off the table with a really super expensive um, pay-per-view event. That's true. That's true. That's true. So that's really all I want to talk about Floyd and uh, Connor for today. We'll come back to that. Um, at a later date, we got some other news bits to pick about, pick off about. I don't want to talk about the Nate Diaz lawsuit thing. I didn't get a chance to research that enough, so I'm not too sure about that. But something I did get to research was a multi-million UFC facility that they unveiled this week. Did you get an opportunity to look at that video and see, um, like that behind-the-scenes tour? I checked it out a little bit. I, it, it's kind of, it seems a little bit confusing. I'm not quite sure. Is this supposed to be like the UFC is going to be running their own gyms now? So what they're doing is they're making it um, available to their fighters to use for fight camps. But you got to fly yourself out there. You got to put yourself up. You got to do all that stuff. But that gym is there for you. But who's going to be coaching? Are you bringing your own coaches? Yeah. Because in theory, if you can't, if your coaches, because you hear about how many of these guys have to raise money for their coaches to come to actual fights, if they go to the UFC facility, um, like who's paying for their coaching? Did the UFC facility have coaching staff on hand in case your coaches can't make it? Are they trying to make a move where people will start getting coaches? And like in boxing, if you sign with a promoter, sometimes promoters move you to certain coaches, certain trainers, certain strength and conditioning people. Is the UFC doing something similar now where they're going to have it kind of try to get it more in-house and try to slowly push the other coaches out? I don't think so. I think um, this is more, this is kind of like a, I will equate this to the WWE's training center that they have now in Florida, where they're kind of training some of their younger talent before bringing them to like the other rosters within the organization. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but I'm like, why would I do that? Like, why would I come over? I mean, I know it's a good place, but if I don't live in the area of one of those places, and if I had to fly, money, you have barely have enough money for guys to get to their actual fight. So now they're going to fly to get to this place to train. You know, the way the, the way the fighters make the money issue seem, I, I don't know if they're going to be too big a fan of that. And if they spend a lot of money in that facility, once again, fighters are going to be like, you spent millions on the facility, but you can't kick in an extra 100000 on the fight card for the fighters? Mm. That's true. I mean, That's true. I, could see it, I could see it raising a little bit, a couple red flags. You know, I if I was a fighter, like, you know, the same thing when they had that retreat, they're like, it's in this huge place. They got Snoop Dogg performing to spend all this money but I can't get an extra $4,000 on my, on my show bonus, on my show, on my show money, or an extra 4,000 on my win money. 
you know mm-hmm. where, where's this money i already have a place to train why am i flying over here to train i need to play i need something that's going to save me money on top of that i have to put myself up and my training staff well, that that doesn't seem very helpful unless they put it in every single area where they have fight camps and they're not going to do that so uh seems kind of i don't know it seems kind of like a waste to me i'm not saying it is but it seems kind of like one that's very true man that's not a bad idea there it's not a bad idea but uh are we going to discuss this Nate Diaz thing? Because I'm looking into it a little bit. Yeah, man. Let's go ahead and talk about it. I kind of wanted to leave it alone, but, you know, Nate Diaz is out there getting sued by a uh, former management for more than a million dollars. Uh, what do you think about this? I'm just kind of curious because, like, I, without Nate speaking, you don't really know what's going on and you don't know all the exact details. But from what it seems, basically, is they were negotiating fights for him and they, they were in on the negotiations for the Michael Johnson fight, for the McGregor fight, and for the McGregor rematch. And basically what they're saying is he had us set these fights up for him and then he just cut us out. He fired us or disengaged from us. And on top of that, he didn't pay us. So essentially they're mad because there's a, the Mayweather, the McGregor fights were the two biggest fights of his career as far as money goes. And they were supposed to get a certain percentage of that and they didn't get anything off of that, even though they helped broker the fights. And I don't know how much they did help broker the fights. I know um, he had been complaining about getting the big fights and, and dealing with the UFC. So it, it's kind of like a he said, she said, but if, if in fact they really had a big part in making that fight happen and he didn't pay them, you know, that, you know, and the fact is Nick used to work with these guys too. So it makes you think that those guys have always done right with them because Nick worked with them. Leslie Smith used to work with them. Nate Diaz worked with them. So you would tend to think that if all three or four of those people were working with them, that they have some sort of relevancy and some sort of stability and they've done good work for him before and if they were if they weren't doing good work why didn't you fire them before this happened like it, it just it, it has terms of being a very messy thing moving forward the, the kind of thing we're not used to in mixed martial arts usually we don't talk as much about managers and money and stuff this kind of stuff always gets blown usually there's not that big of a payday involved but now there's when they have big paydays this is the things that mma guys have to start thinking about when, if you start getting bigger money and you start getting those big paydays, you're going to start getting bigger scrutiny. You're going to have more ma- managers and agents speaking out, wanting their cut. It's not going to be just, oh, I make more money and you just get what you usually been getting. No, they want they want the bigger slice of the pie when you start getting a bigger slice of the pie. And he got that McGregor money and they want their part of it. And what's so interesting about this is that um, management in MMA is still shaky ground i looked uh, i was listening to conor mcgregor's um, manager during mma hour this past week and it still sounds very in its very infantile stages this isn't this is something that's you know milky cow is there but you still aren't um hitting those big names like Elise Steinberg, I don't know if you know who that is, or Rosenhaus, or guys such as that. It still hasn't hit that space yet. Um, So I I still struggle when I I see MMA managers and some of the work. I think for like at the very, very, very top, you have some that are very, at a very uh, well-versed. But then I still see some guys are managed by their coaches too at the same time. And I wonder about that because do these guys have the legal and entertainment training to know how to best leverage these negotiations, whatever negotiations are available to get their fighters and their athletes the best deals available? Well, that, that's the point of having a manager. And that's, that's once again, you can tell most MMA fans don't pay attention to real sports. And I hate to say real sports, but I mean real sports that are actual real businesses because the manager isn't there to 
do the easy work. LeBron James' manager isn't there to get him better contracts with the NBA. All you have to do is say LeBron James, and you start picking and choosing how it's going, how business is going to go down. His job is to expand his brand, to get him sponsors, to put him in in the right positions, and manage the opportunities that are going to help expand him and maximize the money he has. When you, if you don't have a legitimate manager, like an actual manager who knows law, knows contracts, then you're not going to be able to get any of that stuff done. And for and a lot of these guys. They have managers who just get them these, they used to get them these ridiculous sponsorships, but they're not really making much money or they're getting them with these startups. They give them extra gear and the gear is nice and all that stuff is nice, t-shirts are nice, but what's really nice is actually getting a financial benefit and financial payment from said company instead of them just giving you a bunch of gear because you can get gear anywhere. And, and a lot of guys are dealing with people who don't know how, who either have a conflict of interest, because if, if you're a coach, you have other fighters. You want them to get in the UFC. How do I know you're not using this guy to leverage other people into the UFC? How do mm -hmm. I know you're not, you know, saying, you know, how am I know you're not using me to get them in? And then these guys would become a priority, and I become, or if I leave you as a coaching staff, now I got to find a new manager. They just don't think of it like a real life business, and that's where the whole problem with MMA and the money comes. They want the money. They want better contracts, but they don't treat it as such. They don't invest the money and invest the time to get the better contracts to to expand their brand to reach out to the right people who can help them maximize the money and the opportunities they have. Everybody wants to do everything, you know, cheap, but then get paid top end money. Conor McGregor spends money on a manager. George St. Pierre spends money on a manager. The people who spend the money and take the time get the results. The people who don't and just depend on their coach or their striking coach or whoever else, their family member, they're the ones who get in these situations. It's not, Dana's not your friend, WME isn't your friend, the, the, the brothers weren't your friend. It's a business, and you need to treat it as such. And I don't think these guys understand sports business or business at all with the way they handle it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's more than to just sports. I think it's it's business and opportunities as a whole. I, I look at that show. You know, I hate to say this, but I look at that show, The Ballers with The Rock on it, and it's interesting to see like that kind of view of the NFL's from a financial and uh, financial support management type of view. Yeah, it's nothing basically but entourage with, with football. But it's very interesting because there's a lot of money to be made and there's a lot of money to be lost. And these fighters already don't make the highest amount of funds when you compare um, them across other sports. But there's still the potential for them to create some sound investment, create some sound opportunities for themselves. And without the right management in place, that basically goes out the window. Yeah, they have to create it, but they also have to be open to it. It's like the whole thing with the LeVar Ball thing. He didn't just want to get a shoe contract. He wanted a partnership. And he's willing to put in his own money and take his own risk to expand his brand. He's willing to do that. And some of these guys, you know, they're, they're not willing to do it. They're, well, I don't make enough, make enough money. Well, then maybe you need to look at some other outlets or go in some other directions to maximize what you're trying to do. You can't all be advertising for shin pads and gloves. There's too many fighters who do that. There's got to be another segment of the population you can appeal to. Look at Demetrius Johnson. He went to video games. If you're a social social person who does a work against, for bet, the betterment of people, there's another direction you can go to. You have to find whatever direction fits you and your lifestyle and the access you have, and you need to reach out to that instead of just going the typical route. You know, it's like somebody, another, another, another black celebrity opening up a clothing line. Really? Another one? Like, go buy a barbershop or something, or buy or create your own franchise for McDonald's, dude. Another clothing line? We don't need that. Another shoe line? We don't need that. Another jewelry line? We don't need that. You got two. It's already flooded with that. You have to look at 
think outside the box and you have to make a commitment in your effort and your time and money spent. Uriah Faber did it, George St. Pierre did it, even John Jones has done it to a degree, Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, all the people who were successful had this stuff in mind and put this stuff into, into play as soon as they started getting some traction. The other people have not, and that's one of the main differences between it. And they can tell me, I don't know anything about the sport. That's fine, you, you can keep telling me that, but all the people who were successful in it, at one point were in the same position you are, how did they get out of it? They've been fighting as long as you have. They have just as many fights as you have. How did they get out of that? Because the UFC pushed them. That, that's an old played out narrative. It's, the UFC doesn't put, push anybody. They put you on a platform and you yourself. Or you don't. But it's, it's just, it's getting played out for me. The UFC's not pushing me enough. Like sold tapes on your own? Okay, now you can dictate. But if you haven't sold nothing, you're going to get what we give you. And you better be happy with it. Mhm. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, man. Cause I, I wonder what is what standards are put in place to become an, an MMA manager, and um, I'm not sure uh, what standards are really there if there are any at all. I don't think you should get an MMA manager. You should find a person who understands the law, understands sports contracts, and go from there. You don't need a boxing manager. You need somebody who understands the sport to a degree. But the main thing is understanding how contracts work. And being some, you can, somebody you can depend on to fight for your rights and take a hard stand, and somebody you have faith in. That that's the main thing. You don't need an MMA. You don't need to know everything about MMA. He doesn't need to be friendly in MMA circles. He needs to know how to do his job. He needs to look at you, and look at you and protect you the same way you would look at your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, your child. That's the same way. Y'all are a team. He, he wants your success. He's gonna do whatever it takes to get your success. That's what you have to do. And then these fighters have to be more involved in the process. You don't have to be in the actual negotiations. When your your manager comes back to you, you have things you want, you have things you need, you have to tell them what you want to need. And if they're not getting it for you, you need to find someone else. Any kind of sports career is brief. You don't have time to be messing around with people who mess around with your money or aren't completely committed to your vision. That's true. That's definitely true. You got you got to have the right people around you. That's one of the things I love about um, LeBron James the most is that he definitely has the right people around him. People he grew up with, people who are his friends, basically family, and you've seen the great success that they've had throughout all of their careers. But the one difference is his friends, they were his friends, but they didn't just slide by. It's like if, if I got an opportunity and I bring you on, you're a smart guy, you're a go-getter. You'd be like, how can I add value to this? You ain't just sit there for the free ride and get and get the checks and, and go out to parties. You'd be like, how can I actually contribute? All his friends learned how to contribute to the situation. They didn't take no free ride. They're, I'm going to be a manager. I better learn how to manage. I better go join a management group, learn from them, and then I'll break up on my own. They, they didn't just come in and take the free ride. They learned and became contributors, not just takers. That's very true. So let's continue moving on. We got. I want to cover one other uh, news story before we get in. Actually, two other. Did you watch the Andre Ward Sergey um, Kovalev fight? Yes, I did. What did you think, man? Were, were those shots low or not? The shots were low. The, the shots were low. I, I'm I'm not a fan of necessarily of everything Andre Ward says and does, but as a fighter, he's very good. But those shots were low, and the and and shots to the shots to the crotch are going to impact the fight, especially when you take multiple shots. And a lot of those shots happen right before key moments where he, he had huge amounts of offense. So those shots were low, but the fact of the matter is Andre Ward took Kovalev's full measure and he outfought him. Kovalev actually got beat up. He was supposed to be the big power puncher, the crusher. Ward figured him out, 
started countering him, started walking him down, backing him up, and just really, he just beat him up. He beat the big, bad, unstoppable fight. He beat him up. And the, the low blows played a part, but I'm not going to ignore the fact the body shots he was landing, how he was rolling and parrying shots, how he was physically manhandling Kovalev on the inside. He exposed Kovalev. I didn't know Kovalev was so limited from seeing, seeing him, but he's only effective at one range. Andre Ward is good enough at the distance range that he could neutralize him. He got inside and Kovalev had absolutely nothing for him and he just beat him up. Yeah, the shots were low. I'm going to give him that. But Kovalev could have either hit low back or Kovalev could have done other things. He didn't. For whatever reason, he didn't do that. And the fact of the matter is he was still getting beat up throughout the fight. Just because someone hits you low, you can hit them back low. And some of the greatest fighters of our time, Felix, I'm talking about Felix Tito Trinidad, were known for hitting low. So is Bernard Hopkins, where the throws the elbow. Some of the greatest fighters, they're mean and they, they use dirty tricks sometimes. And you've got to either take it away or you've got to match it. Kovalev did neither. He just kept doing the same thing and he got beaten up. He got, he got beaten up by the guy he said couldn't hurt him and fought like a girl and the son of judges. And that guy manhandled him, beat him up, and finished him. Yeah, he definitely took the L there. Um, he definitely got that ass whooped, for lack of a better term. Like, I, I caught it, and I was surprised it ended the way it did. Um, I was definitely surprised that it ended the way it did. But, you know, I, 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 had, my, um, I had my eye on Ward getting the win either way. Well, the biggest thing, the biggest problem Kovalev had is if you listen to the builders of the fight, and I didn't, I thought Kovalev could win, but my main concern was he had no respect for what Andre Ward did. He goes, like in the first fight, well, suddenly I just got tired. Yeah, if you're wrestling on the inside with somebody and they're hitting you with short shots to the head and body punches, you're going to get tired. You know, he, mm -hmm. he, didn't, he said Ward, his Ward shots didn't hurt me. He wasn't strong at all. I was doing what I want. And all, and all the people on his team were saying the same thing, and I'm like, how are you going to prepare or counter something that you show no respect for? If you don't even acknowledge it, how are you going to handle it? And he had no answer for Ward. And the main issue, he had no answer for Ward on the inside. On the inside, Ward beat him up. The first fight, he would tie Ward up so that Ward couldn't really get to work on the inside. This time, he decided he was going to punch with Ward. But Kovalev doesn't have an inside game. So it's like me grappling with you. If I have no grapple game, I took you down. Well, what am I going to do? Now I'm in your world. I'm spending all this energy. And I'm not getting any work done. Well, you're over there just cruising, just chilling, just controlling me, breaking my posture. I had to fight to get out, put me in a submission. I got to fight my way out. And eventually you're just going to submit me because I'm going to be dead tired and I have nothing left because I'm in an area I have no skill in. And that's all Ward did to him. And then it came down to a matter of, of will. And he, and in my opinion, he, he broke the cusher down. Now, I'm not, once again, those shots were low and they looked like they hurt. But Kovalev at no point did anything to stop him from doing that. So I, I can't even put it all off on him. You know, it was, it was a good fight, but... Um, you know, if you're not a fan of Andre Ward, man, it, it, I don't know what to tell you, at least his fighting style, because that dude, is, he's done all. He went after the biggest guy in the division, and he beat him twice, and the second time more convincingly. So I don't, have any problem with the, I don't have any problem with the way it ended. I don't have any problem with the way his fight went. I don't have a problem with Andre Ward kind of stunning on people now that he won, because, you know, he had to take all that criticism, and he, he did the work. So, you know, give that man the praise. Step back and pay homage to the work he did and the, and the, and the heart and the grit he showed. That's the one thing before I finish this. He always told us he had that dog in him, and we never saw it because nobody was good enough to test him or push him. Kovalev was a good enough boxer to push him and test him, and when he pushed Andre, Andre pushed him back. And a lot of fighters, when you start putting that pressure on them, you start putting the heat on them, they fold up. He didn't. He wanted to make it out. He, Kov tried to bully him. Ward bullied Kovalev and broke him down and finished him. And that was the most impressive thing about it. That, that dog, that gritty show, that's the most impressive thing. I already knew he had skills, but to have that kind of grit and determination, that was what really impressed me. Very true. It, um, 
It was a it, it was a great fight and it was something I definitely enjoyed. I think it kind of got overshadowed with the Mayweather McGregor news as well. But you know that's going to yeah. be the that's going to be the case for the next few months. But uh, it, it was a good fight. You know I think it's a fight that fight fans should go back and watch, especially go back and watch their first one as well. Um, I, I loved yeah. it. They kind of hinted towards a third fight or um. Or, oh, that, they're, they're not doing that. That's not gonna make any money. Yeah, they're not. But they also hinted towards Ward going up to heavyweight, which I am questioning right now. But um, you know it, he's definitely had, Andre Ward's been someone I've I've been a fan with since his fan of since his uh olympic run so i, I definitely enjoyed what i saw in that fight last week did you, one more thing did you hear about what happened to kovalev in that fight no what do you mean so, supposedly in the contracts andre ward got six and a half million dollars paid guaranteed right yeah yes i remember this yes yeah. so kovalev got what, what what was it like three hundred thousand or something like that i thought it was less than that yeah, it was some ridiculous number, but but um he didn't get guaranteed money, and his money was Andre based off the, was 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 based off the gate and the pay per view. Rock Rock Nation, Andre Ward's promoter was promoting that fight. There's people I know who love boxing. They didn't even know the fight was happening that soon, and they it, from what I've heard from boxing sources, they had to paper the stadium, meaning they gave away tickets. So there's a good chance that uh, Kovalev didn't make. A, might have made a couple hundred thousand because that, that that was all he was guaranteed a percentage of the pay-per-view and a percentage of the the live gate it wasn't a big live gate paid for and it wasn't a very big pay-per-view number either so he might have just really got nothing and to have that kind of damage to your record and your your uh stature as a fighter man that's a hard thing to take when you when you didn't even clear a million dollars on a fight of this caliber speaking of people who need managers like how did that happen Right. How did that happen? So, yeah, yet another example of why you really need to make sure you have all your things covered, because, you know, any any moment in the combat sports career, your career could be over. And if, this, if his career ended off this fight, he really had nothing to show for financially except what he made in previous fights before. So that that blew my mind when I saw that he was getting so little off of a fight like that. And Andre Ward is guaranteed six and a half million dollars. I'm like, how did you? I wouldn't even take a rematch if if that's the terms of the rematch. I don't need a rematch. I'll move on to the next guy. I'm not taking a rematch so I can not get any guaranteed money. That's that's just ridiculous, and I can't believe his management allowed that to happen. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I can't believe that they allowed that to happen, as well. So let's look. Let's uh, another story I want to talk touch on was Cyborg Megan Anderson. This fight was announced for UFC 214. Um, Anderson has vacated the. Act- did she vacate the Invictus title or not? But either way, she is now um, she is now the number one. I guess I don't know if I say number one contender, but she's facing off against the one and only um, Cyborg for the UFC featherweight title. Um, what are your thoughts on that, man? I've seen that Anderson fight. She's long. She's she's fairly athletic. I don't think she's particularly explosive from what I've seen. And she seems like she is a good level of uh, striking offense. Her defense, she hasn't faced anybody good enough to really show that she has good defense. Like all the girls in Victor, they're tough and they're long and they're strong, but I don't know if they're offensively gifted enough to show her defense. My main concern is when I saw her fight, she didn't hit with the kind of power that I think is going to get Cyborg's respect. And physically, I don't know that she's strong enough that when when Justino gets her hands on her, that she's going to be able to do anything. That's my concern. Do you have enough power to get her respect or to hurt her? And do you have enough physical strength that if she gets her hands on you, you can keep her from dominating you in the clinch, holding you up against the cage, taking you down, or just basically ragdolling you? 
I haven't seen any of that in her previous fights. Not saying she doesn't have it. I just haven't seen it. And that's against a lower class of opponent. She's beat these girls up. She's been clearly better. But if you compare what Cyborg did to the same girls who use MMA math, I have some, I have some concerns for her because she doesn't look really slick defensively. And no matter how slick you are, if you can't hurt somebody and make them back off or slow up, uh, eventually they're just going to overwhelm you and, and, walk, and walk you down and, and take you out. And I can't see it going any other way right now. I'd, I'd have to watch more of her fights, but from what I've seen through skimming through, I, I don't know how she wins this unless there's some kind of skill set I haven't seen from her that she possesses. Mm-hmm. Do you but think she, this... she did it? She, she begged for it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Do you think this fight came too soon? I think it's really too soon in her career. But then again, at 145, it's it's an, it's really to be honest. Let's be fair. It's a non-existent division. How much more experience is she going to get in another year? Yeah, yeah that, that's, they're, they're, that's, they're, that's, that's true. I mean, and she and she she wanted the fight. She begged for the fight. She said she needed. She said she could win. So she got what she wanted. She got a fight a fight on the big stage. She got a fight against the baddest woman in women's mixed martial arts. So she got what she asked for, and I can't hate on that. And I hope she can make good on it. But yeah, it's probably a little bit early at this stage. But once again, only thing she'd be fighting is blown up 35ers who are, who are coming at the 45. But she hasn't she hasn't faced any real opposition. She's faced girls who fight, got some experience, but she hasn't really faced a, de a decent skill set or decent athlete. So it's like you really don't know how, how she's going to do when she faces the best athlete she's faced and the best technical fighter and the strongest fighter and the most durable fighter she's ever faced. Like. She's not, she's not the most durable, most athletic, most technical fighter that Cyborg face. Cyborg is the peak of everything for her. So maybe she'll rise to the occasion. I would like to see her perform well. But based off what I've seen, it, it, it doesn't look like the best decision for her. I mean, financially, it probably is. But as far as the result, it, it doesn't look really good for her. Yeah, um, I'm, I hope it doesn't go bad. But I think this is about time that Cyborg's finally gotten an opportunity to hoist a UFC title over her head. I think it's long, long, long deserved. Yeah, I mean, give the girl props because she demanded the fight. And, you know, everybody connected to the UFC, the minute they say Cyborg's name, they forget. They, they all of a sudden forget what's going on. Like, you know, oh, I'll fight anybody. What about Cyborg? No, you know, depends on the money. The money's got to be right. And can she make weight? It, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm just glad somebody stepped up the fighter without giving me the if the payment's right, I have to talk to my people. Just say you don't want the fight. Just, just be honest with us. There's nothing wrong with that. We all get scared sometimes. Just say it. It'll, it'll free yourself and be honest. So uh, I, free I, 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 I admire her courage for doing that because nobody, nobody else, Holly Holm, Durandamy, Misha Tate, everybody who had been off that fight always, they talked about it, but they were never willing to sign the line because if they wanted that fight, they could have got it. And Megan Anderson basically begged for it for the past three or four months, if not five or six. So I give her props on that, and, and like I said, I hope she can make good on the opportunity that she has. I can agree with you on that. So let's continue to move forward. And speaking of champions, we got a hell of a fight card this weekend in Bellator 180 or Bellator NYC, whatever the hell you want to call it. Looking at this card, you know, with Chelsea and Wanda's Lace at the top, Fedor and Matt Mitrion as the co-main event, is that enough to turn you off from the event? Or if you look at the rest of the car, is it like, well, looking at this full car, you know, we got Douglas Lima, Lorenz Larkin. I'm so excited for that fight. Michael Chandler, I love watching him go. Ryan Bader, Phil Davis. You got that rematch. You got Aaron Pico. You got James Gallagher. You got Neiman Grayson. You got Heather Hardy. 
is that enough to get you excited even though this main and co-main event really don't mean anything well i mean like for me personally it, i don't know that it would me i mean like i was it's still a it's still a good enough card to be honest but i mean like as far as people who casual mma fan even some hardcores they're still going to sign in and watch it it's interesting enough just to see like what what does Von, what does von have left at this point he hasn't fought in like four years what does he have left if they really wanted to make this fight really maximize it they wouldn't have had shale fight tito because if he didn't have any losses and he had all this time to build up the fight it'd be more of a question mark now after that loss with tito it's going to make people kind of look at if vanderley beats him it's going to be like well he beat him but so did tito and even and even if Chael beats Vanderlei, that kind of like hurts whatever let whatever bit of a shine he has on him because of the way that Tito essentially dominated and finished Chael Sonnen. So it's it's kind of risky, but I I don't think it turns people off on the fight. I mean it's entertainment, and a lot of people are ha- are nost- are nostalgic fans of MMA, and when you have a veteran guy going against a guy his age who he can look good against, they're gonna tune in to watch. Like why not? I think that this card alone it, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. Like, there's a lot of stuff that I want to see. Um, as I mentioned, you know, the fight between Lima and Larkin is perhaps the most important one to me because it seems like the UFC just completely missed the boat on Lorenz Larkin. Yeah, he had some struggles at some points. He got some bad um, decisions, but he definitely got a raw deal in not getting signed back by the organization or not even being able to find a way to make a deal happen, especially when he was surging in the welterweight division the way he was at the time. Yeah, well, the biggest thing about it is is that, um, and I and, uh, friends of the show, Patrick Wyman, Connor Rebus from Heavy Hands were discussing this, that welterweight division is still is pretty old at the top, and you have a bunch of young guys coming up. A guy like Lorenz Larkin, who's also surging, still coming into his prime but has a lot of fight experience his identity as a fighter down you can't afford to lose guys like that because you have so many guys in the division who are only going to be elite for maybe another year or two i mean tyron woodley isn't exactly young robbie lawler isn't young donald cerrone isn't young jorge masvidal isn't really young either damian maya is not really young you got a lot of guys at the top end who are coming into their, you know, early to mid, late, mid and late thirties. So these guys won't be around very much longer. So you want to take that young talent and keep cultivating them, keep developing a fan base, and then have them slowly take over the top spot from those guys. And losing a guy like Lorenz Larkin to, to Bellator, it's just not a good look. You don't, you don't want to use, lose a young, viable talent to a competitor. Especially if he gets a belt on a belt on him, it looks even it looks it looks even worse for the UFC. So they mishandled that. But as I said before, the UFC doesn't know how to make stars. They give you a platform, and they kind of they kind of let you go. And if you do a lot of work for them and they see the returns, then they get behind you. But they don't really. I never really seen them build anybody. To be quite honest, I don't even know that they know how to develop fighters the correct way because there's so many top in talents they get at a young age who fall through the cracks. So I don't really have any any trust in the UFC's developmental process or their ability to develop and build stars either. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult um, struggle for them often as they, as they try to build uh, stars within the sport. Let me see. Um, let's see. Let's, I'm trying to open something up. Sorry, hold on. I'm trying to look for... 
what else I wanted to talk about. Talk to me about some of these title fights, though. Well, actually, no. Last, I know I'm not, I'm not gonna be disrespectful. Let's start. Let's start with the main event. We got Chelsea and Wanderlei Silva. It really seems like it should be easy. Like Chael, in theory, should be able to take him down repeatedly, and just win a decision that way. I mean, it really that that should be, that should that should be the simplicity of it all. To be honest, that I don't really think it should be any more complex than that. But I mean, after seeing the way uh, Chael had some issues with Tito, you you just don't know. But in, in theory, he should just be able to out wrestle Von Von to a decision. Essentially, he should be able to do that because Von isn't capable of, of fighting at a pace and maintaining a certain amount of volume or aggression throughout a fight. He, he just explodes in these huge spots and either gets a finish or gets dead tired and gets beat up. So essentially, I guess he could explode on, on Sonnen and if Sonnen's just not really willing to fight, then he might hit him a couple times and Sonnen might tap out or just roll over and get beat up. But in, in my mind, Chael should be able to, Chael should be, Chael should be able to out-wrestle him. I can't see Vanderlei tapping him. And I don't know that he's a good enough wrestler to defend takedowns anymore. And I know he's not. I don't know how if he's a good enough grappler to hit a reverse or, or anything from the bottom. So, I, I'm going to say Chael wins by decision. It's really hard because neither one of these guys have fought a lot. And even in Chael's last fight, we only saw him fight for like, what, a couple minutes. So I mean, you you really don't know what to expect from either guy at this point of their stage, given their their fighting styles and their age, and their lack of activity. But just being active, I'd have to give Chael the advantage because at least he's been. He's been active. He actually had a training camp. This will be his second training camp. So he should be, I would think he'd be better prepared for a fight than, than, than Silva would be at this stage. Mm-hmm. I, can, I, I can agree with that. You know, I was kind of playing around and I did, um, I looked for the old Wanderlei fight from when Wanderlei fought uh, Chell Sonnen on the Ultimate Fighter when they ended up getting in, into that, that, that scrap there. And I think that that's how the fight's going to look. You know, Wanderlei was aggressive. Sonnen shot on him. They fell on the scale, and then they just laid there. Yeah. I mean, what is he going to do? He's never been known for his guard work, uh, switching or hitting or getting scrambled. He's he's never been that guy. So, I mean, it's really an open-shut case. Either, either As long as Chael can just stick to wrestling, you know, he'll have to strike enough to get the wrestling in there. But as long as he wrestles, I don't see how he loses his fight. I mean, Vanderlei hasn't been in a fight or in a camp in a while. I, his cardio really shouldn't even hold up either. So it, it should be an open and shut case. But the way it is with Chael, you never know what you're going to get. He might get caught in something and panic. He might fight, make, do a stupid back fist and get countered. You just never know for a guy with that much experience. He just seems to have mental breakdowns at the worst time when the biggest amount of pressure is on him. But outside of that, I don't. I have no idea how 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 Silva wins this fight. I just have no idea how he wins it. Now let me ask you a question. Does yeah. if this is a bad fight, does that harm Bellator? You know, this is on pay per view. People are expected to pay for it to watch it. Is and Chelsea didn't look great in his last fight. If both of these guys come out there and don't look well, I mean, it's been almost four years since Wanderlei's fought. He fought Brian Stan. I think that was his last one. What do you think is next? Like, can they recover from that? Well, I mean, if, if Chael wins and it's just about grappling him, then the first thing they'll say is he 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 was the wet down and blah, blah, blah. So then they can find Silva, somebody who is a more favorable match at someone who might strike with him, someone who might exchange with him. Because he, he's, a, he's a name. He just got an obvious weakness. And his fans will, they might pay to see him in a, in a, in a fight that matches up 
a little bit more with his style and his limitations physically right now. This fight is more for the casual fans because Silva hates him and there's all this footage of him and Chael having issues. There's all this footage from Chael's podcast and different interviews where Chael's taking shots at him. So this is an easy fight to sell because of the bad blood and the attitude between the two. It's not based on any merit as far as the technical skill. If Sonny loses two in a row, especially if he gets knocked out, finishing two fights, I don't know what else Bellator could do. Maybe they could use him as an announcer because his, his viability as a fighter won't exist. He'll, he'll have lost to two guys who are old, two guys late in their career and got finished by both of them. If he out-wrestles Silva, you can spin that. Silva just got out-wrestled. We'll put him in with somebody who's willing to fight and exchange with him, and that, that should give him a chance to win. But um, I don't really know what kind of harm this could do to either one of their brands. They're so late in their career, nobody's expecting them to be title, title contenders or title challengers at this stage. They're just guys who are just fighting right now and uh, fighting and competing. I mean, they're, just, they're really just faces to help draw in fans for the legitimate fights and legitimate contenders. And everybody knows that, regardless of what they say. Everybody knows that. So I don't know if this does any more harm to any one of them, to be honest. You don't think so? Because I, I, I think you have to wonder what the value is of, of these guys uh, for Bellator as a whole. You know, what does uh, does UFC eventually see feeding them to younger talent? Are they just trying to use them to pull in attraction? Like they have their they have their workhorses on the free portion. Well, actually, they don't. I was going to say they have their workhorses on the free portion of this card, but they don't. As Lima and Larkin fighting on the pay-per-view version of portion, Chandler and Primus are fighting on the pay-per-view portion, as well as Aaron Pico and Zach Freeman. So I guess Phil Davis and Ryan Bader, you know, they are the main event push portion of the prelims. You got James Gallagher there, too. You got um, Heather Hardy as well. So I feel like they got a good mix of their workhorses in some positions here, but you have to wonder if people, if this is enough of a main event and a co-main event to get people, get people interested. Well, it has to be. I mean, think about the rating that Tito versus Chael got or Tito versus Stefan Bonner got. I mean, these weren't active competitive fighters. They're, they're going by name value and nostalgia. They're not here to even put on necessarily a good fight. A good fight would be great. An exciting fight would be fabulous. But they're not here to do that. They're here to open the door to casuals who who might buy a Bellator event because they recognize Sonnen. They recognize Silva. There's people who still think Vanderlei Silva is the baddest guy on the planet. There's still people who believe that. There's still people who only remember Chael Sonnen for taking down and beating up Anderson Silva for four and a half rounds. You know, because they don't keep up with mixed martial arts on a day-to-day -day basis or a year-to-year -year basis. They're going to hear the name Sonnen. They're going to hear the name Silva. They're going to hear the name Fedor. And they're going to sign on for it. And unlike the UFC, they don't need to do a huge buy. They don't need to make 400000 and 500000 They get about 150, 250, somewhere between that. That's actually a win for them because they don't have any current stars who are big names in the uh, mixed martial arts community. I mean, maybe King Moe's one of the more familiar guys. Michael Chandler's known, but he's, he's nowhere near a star from anybody. I mean, Demetrius Johnson is more well-known than Michael Chandler. So this is just an opportunity for them to get fans in who will hopefully see other good fights and sign on to the, the free portion and see those fights and hopefully kick up their rating and kick up the pay-per-view buys for this event. They're just trying to get the door open so they have a viable pay-per-view structure and so that some of these fans will maybe catch on to the other stars they have. Uh, you know, the Ryan Baders, the James Gallagher. Hopefully Gallagher wins. They want him to win. He's young. He's exciting. He's Irish. 
They want, they want Pico to win. He's a young, good-looking guy who's got all these world-class accomplishments. That's what they're hoping. They're going to sell you on the big name, but what's actually going to keep you is the, uh, is the actual meat of the show, the legitimate fighters, the up-and-coming fighters, the prospects who are coming to, to show what they can do. That's what they're hoping. Sell you with the, the sizzle, and hopefully, it's like a trailer for a movie. They put all that good stuff in the movie. What's going to keep the movie making big money is going to be the quality of the movie. Batman versus Superman, big names, lots of sizzle. Even though it wasn't a very good movie, it made almost a billion dollars. Wonder Woman, on the other hand, had some of that, but they had enough of the substance in it to keep it moving, to keep making money, to get the respect from the critics and the people and the fans who watched it. So that's that's what they're going for, and hopefully these guys will perform on the undercard of the main event, so that they'll be able to build that, get that foothold, and take the next step forward. Yeah. See. Um, hmm. I wonder what I, I really wonder what the buy rates for this event will be. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, once that's all done because I think that the pay-per-view model isn't right for Bellator at this time, and we're just going to see. We're going to see if that's the case. We're going to see if this is a if this is a victory. If they man, they have to manage expectations because the first one they had did like 100, 150k. We're really no stars. That that's not bad considering. I mean, the UFC's had had pay-per-views that have only done a little bit better with guys who are long range, who are long-standing champions. So you just have to manage your expectations. I, I agree with you. I don't think pay-per-view is the model to go, but I think if they limit it to maybe like once every two months or something, they can really they could really make a splash. But it just depends on how good this card is. Not not just the main and co-main. That would be great if they were good, but how good the card is as a whole. That'll help a long way in determining that. But as long as they 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 market the price right and they, they don't depend on the pay-per-view model, they should be fine. They should they could do it once every two months if they had a big enough fight, if they had a big enough fight and big enough names. And I, I think in between Son and Silva and Fedor, those are big enough names to get people to, at least get casual fans to sign on to watch. Mm-hmm. I can get with you on that for sure. Um, let's look at some of the undercard for this event here too. Um, one of the big things I'm looking forward to is Aaron Pico. I'm looking forward to this guy's debut. You know, he's been he's been bred for this. He's been put through the ringer. I mean, he's a world class wrestler. He's a Golden Gloves champion. He's a Pancration champion. What do you think is going to happen when Pico steps into the cage with uh, Zach Freeman? Well, the guy he's facing isn't like, he's not a killer. He's just an experienced, good, solid veteran from what I know. He should be fine. I mean, this is essentially like having a, uh, you know, one of those amateur boxers who's got like 250 something fights going, or better yet, it's like uh, Vasily Lomachenko. He came in and in the second fight, he was fighting for a title because he'd had so many, he'd been a uh, multiple time Olympian had won multiple medals, world championships, amateur championships, national championships. He had so much experience, he didn't have to go through five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten fights before he started fighting people with experience who had something to offer. He got to go in his first, his first fight fighting a legitimate guy, his second fight for a title fight because he was so good. I'm going to compare Pico to someone like him. He's got so much experience and so many disciplines on such a, on such a large stage. He's got such good talent and he's been around MMA so long. There's no point in putting him against an 0-2 guy or a 1-10 guy or something of that nature. His natural talent and his time invested in combat sports demands that he faces a higher level of talent. I personally think he shouldn't have a problem. 
just based off his his technical his accomplishments in each individual sport there's few fighters who like he said in an interview how many guys can go box at a national level and then go right back around and wrestle at a world class level i can't i, I can't name two fighters who can do that i mean as a you know? teenager he was almost on the um olympic wrestling team i mean he defeated three national champions before losing in the finals Exactly. His, his skill level, just in, just in those two disciplines, his skill level is so far ahead of everybody else in MMA, UFC included, that it's, it's going to be hard for him to be really challenged. The only thing that's going to be matter is, is the experience. Does he freeze up when he's put in that kind of environment? But he's performed on the biggest stages. So really, it's just a matter of whether or not he's the good. If he's durable and he can take a shot and he's got the, and he's got the mental toughness, then that's really the only question. Because he'll get the experience, and based off physical talent alone, He's going to be he's, he's going to be an advantage nine times out of ten. Most guys aren't going to be able to stack up to the physical talent he has, nor are they going to be able to stack up to the pedigree he has as a boxer or as a wrestler. And and that's a hard thing to overcome. That's a I mean he's a long martial artist, and he's been basically training for this. He's kind of like a Rory McDonald if Rory McDonald was a world class athlete. And you saw how good Rory McDonald's been. That's true. So this, this could be the chance for them to really kind of have a big, like I said, he's young. He, he's, a, he's, I'm assuming he has a good looking style. He's a, he's kind of a good looking kid. He has an interesting story. He, he's the kind of guy who could really kind of take that sport to the next level because of his dominance and, and how many people he appeals to. He'll appeal to the boxing crowd because he's got legitimate boxing credentials. All the wrestlers and people who, who support wrestling are going to support him because he's a legitimate wrestler, world-class wrestler. And, you know, if he took time off to go to the Olympics and he medals and he comes back in MMA, dude, what kind of story is that? I mean, it's really all the doors are open for him. All he has to do is perform. And I don't think the guy they have him facing is dangerous enough in any one discipline for him to really be concerned outside of just if he's like mentally and physically not tough enough. If he's mentally and physically tough enough to handle it, then the sky's the limit for this guy. I, and I want and I want to know if this is going to be the moment that we think back five, seven, remember, well, five, seven, ten years from now and be like, yo, I remember when Aaron Pico burst onto the scene. He's 20 years old. He's 20 years old and he's carrying himself in the way of a professional athlete already, showing up in suits, well-spoken, um, acknowledging everybody in the room, answering questions professionally, he's already acting in that way where it's like, yo, this guy has the makings of being a star, and I hope he gets the victories that come along with that. Well, yeah, I mean, and, as I, and I guess, I don't know how far he's going to go, but in a sense, it could be kind of like that, that high school phenomenon of a player like maybe a Kobe Bryant or a LeBron James. I guess LeBron James would be the closest comparison. Somebody who comes out young, who's got all this talent, has competed at such a high level, and is essentially being crowned before he's accomplished anything as the next great thing, as far maybe an all-time great in a sport that he's never really accomplished anything in on a world level. And um, you know, it's good that he's had all these experiences because, like you said, I'm not saying you have to wear a suit. I mean, that's a personal preference. But coming in, knowing how to talk to media, knowing how to behave in public, knowing how to deal with big stages, understanding you have to just not just come there to fight, but come there to sell yourself and your event. He already understands these things. We we'll put him ahead of 90% of MMA fighters who just want to fight. So I, I, I think he really, he might be a catalyst for what turns the direction of mixed martial arts from a niche sport 
to a financially viable sport because a lot of it is still the credibility they have because these guys don't always carry themselves like professionals. They don't always want to do interviews. They don't always want to answer questions. I mean, if an MMA fighter gets tired of answering the same question, I ain't got no sympathy for you. How many times do you think LeBron James has to answer the same damn question? Ten times as much. And he does it with a smile on his face, taking the high road, answering whatever question, addressing whatever issue, trying to do his best to build the sport and himself. A lot of MMA fighters still have not learned that lesson. It seems like young Aaron Pico has already gotten that figured out. So if he can actually fight as good as his, if he does everything else, we might be seeing a new age in mixed martial arts where that financial viability goes up and everybody, whether you're a, a consultant, a coach, a trainer, or a media member, everybody might start benefiting when you have guys who take it as a profession and treat it as such, a business and a profession, not just you know, a sport or being a warrior. That stuff sounds great. When it comes down to it, it's a business and it's a profession that you're taking on. And that comes with other things other than just fighting and competing. Yeah, and I'm really enjoying the professionalism that he is showing from start to finish, and I hope that that success comes with him. It's a shame that you have to actually be surprised by basic professionalism. Looking somebody in the eye, answering the question, yes sir, yes ma'am, showing up on time, not threatening somebody with violence. The fact that that's, that's standing out is, is it's amazing and somewhat concerning for me. It's right up there with, yeah, I grew up with my dad and he contributed to my life. It's like, the fact that that's something special nowadays is, it's concerning, at least it is to me. Like, that should be the norm. That shouldn't be anything special. But that's, that's, that's where we're living right now. What are your thoughts on Heather Hardy? She's also making her MMA debut on um, Saturday or whatever day this event is, and I'm not the most well-known about her. So what are your thoughts on her? And tell me, do you know a little bit more about her background? Well, I mean, I know, I know the caliber boxer she is. I know everybody has gotten used to Holly Holm, the uh, Hall of Fame boxer who's such a great boxer but knocks everybody out with kicks. Um, she's a better boxer than Holly Holm. She's a legitimate boxer. Half of her problem has been she hasn't, in women's boxing, women's MMA, even though it started way later than women's boxing, has outdone women's boxing as far as promoting women fighters, getting them sponsorships, getting them opportunities, getting them a big stage to perform on, and having viable, a deep pool of opponents to pull from. If you think bantamweight division in the UFC has been, you've never seen women's boxing. There's girls who have fought each other six and four, five, six, seven times because there's such a low bar set for the skill set for fighters. So she wasn't able to get a lot of fights regularly in boxing. That's why she initially started looking into mixed martial arts because it's more viable. There's actually places you can go where you can get fights. You can have you can you can be on TV. You'll be promoted heavily. You'll be put on TV. You might be put on main cards if you're on an undercard. It's going to be shown on national TV. They're going to try to push you. They're going to use every angle to push you and represent you as a true athlete and a true sports person, which in women's, women's boxing, that's not always the case. There's some excellent women, female boxers, and um, they have great stories. They have great backgrounds, and some of them have excellent skills, but they are constantly overshadowed by either the hype jobs or by the big-name stars. Like, for example, Ann Wolfe. She was the best women's boxer. We don't know about her, but we know about Layla Ali who wasn't one of the greatest technical female boxers or fighters ever because she's Layla Ali, and Wolf's and Wolf. And nobody knows who she is, even though she's one of the all-time greatest female boxers. I mean, literally, she could beat up a lot of guys. You, you see her fight, and you'll be like, man, if I ever thought I could beat up a girl, let me take that thought back. And she lives in my city. She lives in, she lives in Austin. 
So I'm watching my mouth right now, looking over my shoulder. There's a lot of people who know her, and I don't want her showing up at my doorstep, asking me questions about what I said about her. <laughs> That's definitely the truth there. Um, do you think Heather Hart is going to have a big splash in MMA, or is this kind of like a, I don't say a money grab, but is this like a, a wasted opportunity? I don't think it's a money grab. I think she looks at it as a viable, a viable career because she's just like anybody else. She has an extensive combat sports experience. She has, she's not, she's not like, no offense to my girl Betch Cohea, she, who's done very well for herself. She's not, she's not a soccer mom who decided to get into combat sports. She's not an accountant who decided to lose some weight. She's a legitimate, skilled, tenured, and experienced quality combat sport competitor. She's not some, she's not somebody who doesn't understand the sacrifice or doesn't understand the work involved in it. Now, she may not be as well-versed in mixed martial arts, but let's be fair. How many female fighters, except for the top ones, how many of them really have a lot of legitimate quality experience in mixed martial arts? It's really not. It's really thin across all the divisions, except for the, the really lighter weight classes where you have a lot of girls who have extensive combat sports experience. Most of these girls don't have a lot of combat sports experience. Most of these girls weren't the best athletes in the nation or in their area. They're people who took a sport to get in shape and kind of were doing good at it and decided to build on it and take the next step forward. They're not lifelong fighters. They're not lifelong martial arts. Heather Hardy is legitimate quality combat sports competitor who's looking for opportunities to expand on her brand and to build herself and to compete because she wants to compete. If she could get fights and good fights and quality fights and improve her career in boxing, she would have did that. But boxing is so hard for women to do that. There's such a small pool and there's so few opportunities. In fact, um, Conor McGregor's team, they have a girl, uh, Sinead Cavanaugh. She was a high level amateur boxer, but corruption, lack of opportunities. She came over to mixed martial arts, translated her sport, her skills over, and now she's moving forward because she wants to A, make money, and B, as a competitor, she wants to compete and show her skills and show her grit and show her heart. Heather Hardy wants to do the same thing. She, she has a look. She's kind of attractive in that Paige Van Zandt kind of way. She's intelligent, and she's, she's used to dealing with media and performing on stages because she's a competitor. So she could really build something off this. It's just a matter of whether she's going to refine the skills fast enough to be competitive and to take those steps forward. If she can do that, she could really be huge. And you know, Bellator is looking for stars. They're looking for somebody who, has a, who appeals to the demographic. And when they find them, they're gonna push them. They're gonna give them every opportunity to, to, make, to make some noise as far as their brand, as far as getting good fights and developing. Bellator is very good at that, actually. Yeah, that's definitely true. I, I will not disagree with you on that. So, is there anything else from Bellator NYC or Bellator 180 that stands out and catches your eye? Um, the two things. One, the, of course, the Mitrione Fedor fight. It's a really good matchup because Mitrione's defense is terrible and he can't grapple. So Fedor has two clear lines to victory. But at the same instance, even though Mitrione's very limited offensively as a kickboxer and striker, he's very effective and he's still one of the better athletes at heavyweight. So it, it, it presents just enough danger for Fedor that if he wins it, it's a legitimate quality win. Even though Meathead isn't really a top five, top 10 heavyweight, he's got the athletic talent of a top five, top 10 heavyweight, and he's performed more or less well against the best heavyweights in the world. So it'd be a good win for Fedor. And even if he goes out and blows Fedor out, it'd still be an upset. But given Fedor's age and how he's looked in some previous fights, and the fact that Meathead is on a two-fight knockout win streak, while it might damage Fedor's brand to a degree, it wouldn't, 
it wouldn't be like an embarrassing loss because it's a legitimate heavyweight with legitimate knockout power. So that that fight is interesting to me just because it's it's a fight with two legitimate heavyweights, and usually we've been seeing Fedor against blown up light heavyweights or these you know these uh, heavyweight guys who can't compete anymore. And Mitrione is still capable of at least competing with the better heavyweights in the world. Uh, the second fight would be the Phil Davis. The Phil Davis Ryan Bader fight, just because it's one of the best light heavyweight fights you can make. I mean, that's that's a top ten light heavyweight fight. That's a quality fight. That's better than the past couple light heavyweight fights I've seen in the UFC. As far as the guy's age and their accomplishment and their skill set, it's it's actually a really good fight. So, I mean, I don't know if I if I take the, the rematch right now if I was Phil Davis, the King Mo fight with Ryan Bader would have been just as good. But it's a it's a very high profile fight with two guys who are proven at that division. And Phil Davis has had such a resurgence in Bellator, it, it kind of makes you wonder, has he shown enough improvement to get past Bader? And for Bader, this is his first shot at a title. But yet again, it's another big spot fight for him. And usually when he gets in these big spot, high pressure fights, uh, his record usually isn't very fond. So there's a storyline, can he turn the corner? Can he win the big fight now? He's got the big fight. He's never been able to get to the big fight. He's always lost. He's always come up short just before it. So now he's in the big fight for a title. Can he get it done? And for Phil Davis, have his improvements improved enough so that he can handle the guy who essentially just beat him up and dominated him a couple years back? Has he improved enough during this time in Bellator? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's that's going to be a interesting deal there, especially seeing how their last fight went and how close it was. Um, who do you pick in that fight? Oh, man, I'm not really a fan of either one of these guys. That's the worst part. Um, I want to I say Bader. I, I've seen Phil Davis improve a little bit, but a lot of the things he did before, he still does. And I think Bader's stand-up has improved enough where he should be able to handle whatever Phil Davis comes at. He's coming, he's coming in off a win streak. He hasn't really looked bad at all in his past three, four fights. I think he's, he's had a couple knockouts. He's, he's clearly dominated guys. I, I think he's on a roll, and I think he... Uh, I think he gets gets by Davis, and then I think they uh, put him in with the King Mo next for the title. Hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm not mad about that. Actually, there's been some commentary about what's next for King Mo, and I think that either one of these guys creates a um, an, an interesting opportunity for a title shot, which I think is, is great for King Mo because he's kind of just been, I don't want to say floundering, but he's just been there doing his thing, getting paid to fight, um, which is, you know, what everybody should Let's move on because we still got one more card to talk about. We have UFC Fight Night 112. And on this card, we have something that I actually totally missed. But, you know, first and foremost, don't you ever talk about my mom or we're going to have to come to hands like uh, Michael Chiesa and Kevin Lee did. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. But, you know, I completely forgot that BJ Penn and Dennis Seaver are fighting on this card. Yeah, I, I, I almost did too, and I saw it, and I'm like, who put this? Is this like a last-minute fight? <laughs> I thought, I was like, somebody messed up the poster. What do they mean BJ Penn's fighting? <laughs> I completely forgot about that, man. So, yeah, we got we got a couple of good fights on this card. We got Kessa Lee at the top, Hendricks, Tim Bosch, um, Felice Herrick, and Justine Keish. I'm really interested in the um, Johnny Case-Tony Martin fight because I'm definitely a Johnny Case fan, and I'm glad to see him finally get back in the cage. 
Cage. Carlos Spars is finally getting back out there too. So I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a, there's a number of interesting fights. Tim Means and Alex Garcia is good too as well. So there's definitely some interesting fights to see um, what's going to happen over the next uh, couple of um, over the next few days of this Sunday. Yeah, I was a little upset because we got we have two guys, two trainers who are, who've been on our show, and they got their guys fighting, and I'm like, oh man, I didn't want to see that. We got Tim Tim Bosch fighting Johnny Hendricks on that card too, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I like both of these guys. I don't. I didn't really want. The, I didn't really want John. I didn't want. I didn't want Hendricks to be fighting Bosch. I really wanted Hendricks to fight um, Dan Daniel Kelly. That's the fight I was calling for, but um, I didn't get it. So now we got Tim Bosch versus Johnny Hendricks, and it's a it's a really tough matchup because Bosch has been on a bit of a losing streak recently. He won two in a row, then he's he lost, he lost, he lost to Jacare, and he lost in a certain manner, and he's been kind of been hit or miss with the past couple of years. So it's like you wonder what another loss does to him, especially a loss against a guy who really, who's fighting at middleweight, but who isn't a legitimate middleweight as far as their size and stature. You know, you wonder what, if he loses to Hendricks, especially if he loses in some kind of spectacular fashion, what, what does that do for his standing as far as continuing to be employed with the UFC? And for Hendricks, he just got off. He just got off a losing streak. He had his first win in forever against Heather, Hector Lombard, who is a middleweight in, I guess, power and, and strength, but isn't a middle, a true middleweight in size and stature. So it's like if he loses this fight, that means he's only won what one fight out of his past four. That'd be like uh, he would only he would only won one fight in his past five six five fights. That's that's not a good record either. I mean, he's a big enough name that he would stay in. But he's been talking about if he's losing fights and he can't compete, he he doesn't know if he's going to stay active in mixed martial arts because he didn't come in there to just be an opponent. So it's like a fight between two guys who who aren't really high on the food chain and, and middleweight, but two guys who really could be fighting for their their careers and their futures with the with the with the UFC and an MMA period. Yeah, so I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens to him because this guy has—he's been struggling. A lot of people have been. I mean, like Carla Esparza, she's there. She's gone two for two in her last four. Uh, let's see who else is fighting. Giant Case is coming off of that loss to, to Jake Matthews. You know, Fleech Herrick has been struggling, but I think she's won. She's on the two fight. Yeah, she's she's right won now. two, right? Um, so yeah. Clay Guida's out there. Man, I saw I was working on something the other day, and I saw Gray Maynard has another fight coming up. So it's it, these a lot of these guys are kind of trying to f- still find their place, still find their spot on the UFC roster, which I think is interesting with this development of this Dana White's Tuesday Night Fight series. I think there's some space. I don't know if you saw the card for the first show that's coming up next week, but um. There's a couple of former UFC uh, competitors that they've brought back for the showcase. So I think that this is going to be an opportunity for guys to find a way to hang around in promotion. They may not be on pay-per-views. They may not be on big events. But if they can find a space in, in this contender series, there's some value there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, essentially, essentially they're going to have to do that for guys who, who have names and are trying to keep their career afloat. They're going to have to go that avenue. If they want to stay in the sphere of um, mixed martial arts and being competitive. That being said, with guys who've been established and been in the sport a little bit longer, they might be used to. I don't know how much they're paying on that show, and they might be used to a little bit more money and and other opportunities that come with being on a UFC fight night or being on a UFC pay-per-view. 
that's that's the biggest thing. It's like if you're a boxer and you go from fighting on HBO to ESPN before the big deal was signed with ESPN. ESPN pays you a lot less money. Fighting on ESPN, you got to fight like four or five times on on ESPN cards to make the money you would make fighting once on an HBO card. So that fact that also comes into a factor. If that's how you make your money, you got a wife and kids and stuff. You know, fighting really tough unknown guys for a little bit of money might not be the route you want to go. Yeah, it definitely is, isn't the route that you want to go. Let's talk about Kessa Lee. Um, what's on the line for these two guys? I think this is a big opportunity, especially with Kevin Lee. I think Kevin Lee is kind of the the, the star in, out of these two right now, um, saying he wants he's already planning on trying to call out Khabib Nurmagomedov after he gets the win. Talk to me about this fight here and if you think that this is a bad fight for Lee, especially if you look at Kessa's abilities on the mat. Well, the thing is both guys are in a position where they could – take the next step up as fighters. They've, they've beaten the uh, lower tier 55 guys. They've shown they can compete with the better, you know, the, the middle tier to upper middle tier guys. Now's the, now's the time where they're gonna have to start proving they're worthy and able to compete with the top 15, top 10, top five type level guys. And this is the first step. Whoever wins this fight is gonna get a named guy and is gonna get a highly ranked named guy and get their chance to become a legitimate contender for that lightweight title. Um, Kevin Lee, he's a he's a he's a good fighter. The main thing about him is his athleticism. He's a guy who's very dynamic. He's fast. He hits hard. He's agile, and and a lot of that is what helps him helps him be as effective as he is. He's a good wrestler, but he's not really the greatest control wrestler, and he's not very good defensively on the fitting takedowns. Usually, when somebody takes him down, he can just scramble back up, or he can explode out of it and not get the clean takedown, but his actual technique and defending takedowns isn't great. His ability to just control and grind a guy out also is not great. And his striking, while, while balanced and diverse, a lot of his striking is more effective based off his attributes than his actual self-awareness, his technical awareness, and his, his skill. He, might, he can throw things very cleanly, but he doesn't, his, to me, his striking game isn't super cohesive. It's not super cohesive, it's not very organic, it's very, I throw this punch here, I throw that punch there, and that's only a small part of striking. A lot of striking isn't just knowing what to throw, like, based on the situation. It's also feeling out that situation based off who you're fighting and what their abilities are, what their stature is. The same counterhook you throw against this guy, even though it's a, it won't work against another guy in the same situation because maybe he's a little bit longer, maybe his reaction is a little bit quicker, maybe he has better timing than you. you it's all these factors you have to put process through to essentially make striking effective grappling a little bit differently because you have your hands on somebody you can control them there's a little bit less dynamism in there and creativity just because you have some kind of control of them. even if they're dominating you you can get your hands on them you can kind of guide them and control them but in striking it's all whether how much you it's all your action and reaction and is even though he's a better striker than Kiesa by far, because Kiesa's technical striking is awful. Kiesa, he comes from a camp where they spar very hard, some would say recklessly, and that's really bad because it kind of lowers your ceiling, but it gives you a very high floor of skill. It gives you a certain comfort, a certain timing, and a certain mental toughness when you get into exchanges. It gives you a very clear identity of yourself and your skill set. And Kiesa is kind of like a uh, He's kind of like a counterpuncher, but unlike most guys who counterpunch, since he spars so hard and spars so frequently, he's not afraid of letting his hands go. He's not afraid when he sees that spot to just let it go. He's not afraid to get in exchanges and counter with you because he has enough faith in his 
physical toughness and his mental toughness that he can exchange with somebody. But even if somebody's landing shots on him, he can stay calm in that and look for the counter. And if the guy is putting pressure on him, he'll counter, punch his way into the clinch, start going to work on guys, get him down, create some kind of scramble or transition, and finish him. And I think Kevin Lee is going to dominate large parts of this fight because he's so athletic. He should be able to get takedowns when he wants. He should be able to explode on Kesa with all sorts of offense. But the thing about it is I don't think he puts Kesa away if Kesa can just remain defensively responsible. He can just weather the storm out, get Kevin Lee in some, get Kevin Lee in some, in some clinches, take some of that explosiveness away, chop him up to the body, some short shots, some counter shots. Eventually he's going to get him to the ground and he's going to trans transition into something and either he's going to just control him and pound him out or he's going to finish him. I think Kevin Lee has, is well within his ability to just walk through Chiesa. He's got that much power and that much athleticism, but he makes a lot of mistakes. And the reason his mistakes aren't caught is because of his athleticism. But Chiesa's faced really good athletes. And Chiesa's got enough physical durability and calm under fire to handle, to handle that athleticism. All he's got to do is not give, not give Kevin Lee something wide open. If he just fights smart, but fights with controlled aggression, he should be able to walk him down and finish him. That's my belief. But Kevin Lee's a much better athlete. As far as the skill set, you would almost say Kevin Lee's a much better prospect, but he makes a lot of mistakes. And there's many fights where he's winning it until he finds a way to lose it. He's got somewhat of that Melvin Guillard quality to him in some fights. He makes fights tougher than they have to be. And he takes, he snatches defeat from the jaws of victory in, in many cases when he has lost. Mm-hmm. I can definitely uh, agree with that breakdown there. I think that Lee has the higher star power potential. Um, he, I mean, he's over the top. He says he says things to kind of get attention, but that's what works right now. That's kind of what sells. And he is definitely kind Did of left. Oh, sorry. Did you hear that interview he had recently? Which one? He, he was talking about how he wishes there was a 165 weight class because he gets tired of cutting all that weight. Yeah. My thing, was, my thing is like, for a guy who depends on athleticism, who explodes so much and throws so much power and explodes into takedowns, like, he's not, not that he's not technical, but you know, a more technical guy will slide into the takedown. It's not just all force and explosion. There's a lot of technique and layer technique to it. Like, Ben Askren is athletic, but a lot of his takedowns, even though they're unorthodox, you can see the techni technique. You can see the layers of the take takedown. When he, one gets defended, he, he counters with another one. He slips into another one. He chains into another one. Kevin Lee's not that... He's not that technical. It's very obvious, even with his striking and his takedowns. And if you're telling me that you cut a lot of weight, that might mean that if a fight gets into a grittier pace where it's more physical and you can't just clearly dominate a guy or you can't finish him right away, your gas tank might not be there. That energy reserve might not be there. And there's one thing Michael Chiesa, never, I've never seen him do. I've never really seen him get tired. I've never seen him really fade because of exhaustion. Yeah, what's funny is that, um, you know, he, I feel like that's something that you don't want to say leading into a fight like this because I guess is the type of individual that makes a fight dirty. I look back at his fight with Joe Lozon. It, that, that's the only way to describe that fight. It was dirty, and he happened to take a bad cut, which caused the ref to uh, stop it. And, you know, as much – I'm not the hugest Kessa fan, but I'm picking him to win this fight just because I think he is more technically sound and he has more ways to win than Kevin Lee. I, I've, I compared him to on Twitter today, Twitter recently. I said he's kind of like, he's like a male Misha Tate. He doesn't have exactly the, the cleanest technique, but a lot of it, what it is, is he's durable enough that he can take, he can handle your athleticism long enough for his mind to start, for the gears in his head to start turning and him to start figuring out answers to what you're doing. 
a lot of people are smart, but they don't have the mental, the physical toughness and the mental toughness to keep on pushing under duress to figure you out. And that's what it takes. You, if you don't have that athleticism to match it, you've got to be tough enough to, to handle that storm. And then as you start taking the shots, you slowly start working your w way back into the fight. You start figuring out the pattern. You start figuring out what they can't do. And then you start upping the pace on them, putting the pressure on them. You make that adjustment. And that's when you start putting on them. And that's how I see the fight going. It's just like many Michi Tate fights. She gets smacked around by Sarah, Mc Sarah McMahon. She gets smacked around by Jessica I. The minute they, they decelerate half a step, he's, she's on them. She, 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 she sees them breathing hard. She sees them slowing down. She makes the adjustment. And the fight, instead of them going backwards, it turns into an avalanche. And they just start getting pushed back. And then they start getting taken down. And they start getting beaten up. And that's how I see it with Kevin Lee. He's very skilled. He's very good. But I don't feel that the IQ was there. And to be honest, if he gets put where he's taking a tremendous beating and he has to work his way out of it, I don't know that he has the layered enough skill set or the durability to last through that. Because when Kiesa gets in positions to finish, he usually finishes. And I don't know that Kevin Lee ha has that sort of awareness, that technical awareness to work his way out of a position against a guy who's such a good finisher and puts so much pressure on you when you get into a bad spot. And he does not fade at all. When he gets in a good position, that's it. He doesn't take his foot off the gas. He just keeps pressing until he breaks you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue with that for sure. I'm not going to argue with that for sure. What else on this card stands out for you, man? We got this is a pretty interesting event. Do you think this is the last time we see BJ Penn in the cage, or can he get by Dennis Seaver? I think he can. Dennis Seaver hasn't fought in a while. Last time he fought, it was a Seaver fought. And uh, all I know is, remember, last time he fought, he didn't look good. And um, BJ didn't look good either. But BJ was facing a guy who's in his prime, 10 times faster than him, 10 times more explosive. Got better reaction time and a dynamic attack. Uh, if he can't win this fight, because this is a guy in his general age range who, who should be slowing down physically. If he can't win this fight, I mean, he should have really already retired. But if he can't win this fight, that should be what closes the door. Because we know BJ can't really, really, really compete with the young guns. But he should still be able to compete with guys in his general age range and guys who were flawed enough in certain spots that he could still dominate them in. It's when you can't compete at this stage is when the problems start coming up. You know, Ken Shamrock getting beat up by younger guys, you expect that. They're 20 years younger than them. They're more durable, they're, more, they're quicker, they got better, more updated skill sets. But when Ken Shamrock's getting knocked around by Hoyce Gracie, that's when you, start needing, you, you need to start having some concern because you're getting physically dominated by non-dominating fighters who are your age or older. So now you can't even compete with those guys. So I mean that that's pretty much all I have to say about this fight because I haven't seen I haven't seen Seaver fight in so long, and even though I saw what Yair Rodriguez did to BJ, Dennis Seaver's not that not that point in his career where he could do that. I don't think it, even in his prime he was that dynamic. The one thing I will say is BJ Penn took a lot of heavy shots from Yair, and which means his chin to some degree is still there. So essentially, if he can take some shots from Seaver, he should be able to counter him. Should be able to get his hands on him. Should be able to take him down and should be able to finish him. In theory, if his chin's still there, he should be able to do those things. His last, the last time Dennis Seaver fought was in 2015. I didn't even realize it was that long ago. I think it was Conor McGregor he fought, right? No, it was Kawajiri. Uh, and he lost that fight, didn't he? Yep, I just looked at it. Let me look at it again. I mean, he did lose that fight, but I want to make sure it was Kawajiri. Yep, 
He lost it. Um, UFC Fight Night 69. Jessica, oh, excuse me, Jessica Panay versus Joanna Jojacek. Yeah, I mean that's the only route I see BJ Penn. This, this, if there's a winnable fight for him, it's gonna be against guys who are on the decline. If he won this fight, maybe you put him in with a uh, Gray Maynard. See what happens. Not, not saying that Gray couldn't beat him, but at this stage, Gray Maynard's not the guy he used to be either, and he's. He's a step from getting finished by guys who who used to walk through a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to argue with you. Um, fight I'm interested in is actually the the Felice Herrig Justine Kish fight, just because Herrig has been on this two fight winning streak, and even though she's not she's never been one of the elite girls in the division, she's always been just outside of it because she's been able to beat the rest of the fighters, just never the best of the fighters. And if she beats Justine Kish, Justine Kish is kind of the girl who usually beats Felice Herrig. She's a She's a skilled person, but not particularly experienced, not particularly developed because of a lack of activity, but who's got a high level of athleticism, physical strength and size. And Felice's physical limitations often get her beat against a certain class of athlete. So for her to, she beat Kaylee Coran, which was her first time really beating a top end athlete. Usually those kind of girls are the ones who kind of rough her up and outwork her late. And then she beat Alex Grasso, who was a big time prospect they brought in who was supposed to be a built-in star to get help get that that latin or hispanic fan base in she beat her so she beats quiche it's basically it's basically affirming that she's ready to take that next step finally in her career where she can actually be considered at least a fringe contender or a top 10 fighter in the division because she's never been able to put consecutive wins against a certain level of talent in her career. It's always been these second and third tier girls or these girls who have these who are so limited in their experience or their skill set that she's able to outclass them. So this win would actually be, be an example that, hey, OK, she's turned the corner. She's not just getting tired and getting outclassed and getting beaten up by these top end athletes. She's figured it out now. She's got her identity straight. She has the right balance of striking and grappling, and she's going to be taking over and moving into legitimate contendership, which means she could probably get a fight with the probably the next opponent for would probably if she beat wins this fight would probably be Claudia Gadella would probably be the best fight for her because she's coming off a win streak. She's showing improving skills and Claudia is still trying to refine her game and put herself into a position that when she finally fights Joanna again, she's is prepared and is ready to compete and possibly win that title. So she there's a lot of writing on it for her for for this fight for her. Justine Justine on the other hand She's been so inactive because of injuries. The biggest thing for her is she's undefeated and she's had some good wins, but she doesn't have any any wins over anybody with a name, anybody who's proven. And even though Herrick has been more of a journey woman as a fighter, she's still more proven than anybody that Justine's fought. So a win over Herrick shows that all that learning on the job and all that time recovering from injuries hasn't hindered her progress as a fighter and shows that not only is she like a top end talent, because she was a dark horse on the ultimate fighter with all the straw weights, they thought she could win the, t the tournament, but she got injured. So this is her chance to make good on all that potential and show, hey, maybe I'm not a top contender, but I'm ready to take that next step into that upper mid middle tier of opponents in straw weight. So it's really important for both of them. It's more important for Herrig because the loss of this stage firmly puts her in that journeywoman role, which means no big paydays, which means you're fighting a bunch of tough up and comers who you don't get a lot of credit for beating because they don't have big fan bases or big pushes behind them. Mm-hmm. I uh, would be interested in seeing Herrick face off against Gadelia. I think that's an interesting fight for both women. It keeps them active. If she can get the win, 
um, yeah. this Sunday. It, it definitely does keep her active, and it puts her in a big enough fight where it's just outside the cusp of title contention, but it allows her to maybe turn the corner and find herself at um at a, at a at a title title shot position. Yeah, and it also makes her appealing for Claudia's people because she would want that fight because that would get her really close to the title shot, as you just said. But also, she'd be a person she she would have fought in in a row three of the better athletes in division and either decision them or finish them. Which means that Claudia knows that even though I'm one of the better athletes, I'm strong, I'm fast, I hit hard. Here's a girl who's faced athleticism before and she's shown discipline, all the veteran tricks and able to counter lead, defend against that kind of athleticism, which means she's ready for what I have to offer. She'll have, and she has more skill sets than, uh, uh, than Carolina did. So she presents a challenge is going to force her to dig a little bit deeper in her bag of tricks for her to win. She won't just be able to bowl over with athleticism. Harry's already seen that. And she's, if she wins this fight, she's proven three fights in a row, I can beat a better athlete. So now you're uh -huh. going to have to come down to skills. And if nothing else, Herrig is a very well-balanced, very experienced fighter. I mean, there's people in the strawweight division who are in the top 10, and they barely have seven fights. Herrig has like 18, and that's not counting all the fights she has kickboxing as well. So she's a very tenured combat sports athlete. So she's, she's right in that position to make it take advantage of all that. And she's got a fan base, and people like her, and she knows how to play social media. So this win is very important to her career. I mean, her friend Carla Esparza took a couple losses, and look how far it moved her down the ladder. Yeah, never accomplished nothing. She never accomplished anything on Esparza's level. Definitely true. Definitely pushed her back pretty much out the way. Um, so we really kind of covered it all for this week. So as always, you know, let's talk about some of the things we're working on. And why don't you let the people know what you're working on this week for MMARatings.net. Uh, surprisingly, I actually did a very good breakdown. I'm very proud of it, of um, Justine Kish and um, Felice Herrig. I broke down the fight. I kind of went through their history and gave examples of what their strengths and what their weaknesses are and how their philosophy and their strategy is. But most importantly, what I did is I, like I said last week, a lot of people always ask, why is this match being made? What's good matchmaking? What's not good matchmaking? So I explained if this person wins or loses, what this tells you about that fighter. Because sometimes you're like, well, they lost and that's not a bad loss. And if you look at the kind of fighter they always lost to, which means they haven't been improving as much as they said they have been, which means you, you can only do so much with them. Or if they beat this fighter, they've shown that they have improved, which means they're ready for the next level to move up. That's the kind of things that matchmakers take into consideration and management teams take into consideration when they're moving up fighters, when they're trying to get their fighters big name fights. It's matchups, it's growth, it's development. So now I'm not just breaking down the individual fighters and the fight itself, I'm breaking down what that fight means moving forward and why that fight's being made or why that management team chose to take that fight. Because I think there's a big gap in between the understanding of the fans. They understand the technical part more, but they don't understand the business side. And a lot of that business side has to do with how, that, how the technical side relates within each fighter. Good stuff, man. I'm definitely loving your, your work and, and uh, the way you're breaking out a lot of these pieces. I hope people can definitely uh, listen in because you break it down in a way that's really easy to follow um, for people who may not be as well-versed in the sport. So all, as always, man. Yeah, one, one more side note before I and sorry to interrupt you. Once again, on MMA ratings, there's not many people, and on our show, there's very few, there's very few shows you will listen to. Like, for the big cards with the big women fights, they always break them down, they'll give them that time for analysis. Our site and our show is one of the few shows where you'll 
you might get a fight that's on an undercard this women's fight and we'll give it just as much attention just as much analysis just as much what it means for each fighter moving forward as we would the big cards like most people don't cover women's mixed martial arts as much as we do or as well as we do so if you're a fan of that you need to make sure you're listening to the show you need to make sure you you come to our come to the site because we're giving them attention that these women have earned and a lot of other a lot of other the bigger sites you won't see that kind of focus on them once they get to a title shot you'll start seeing oh herrig this person that person but in these fights like this to get them to those positions we're the only people out there giving you that giving you this level of analysis they'll give you a little paragraph we're giving you whole articles we're giving you five ten minute breakdowns we're answering questions on twitter that's the kind of analysis we give to everybody we're, we're equal to men and women's mixed martial arts and a lot of sites and a lot of writers and analysts are not equal to them so if you're a fan of women's martial arts you need to come see us definitely man you definitely always um catch our content so with that in mind man i'm working on you know same stuff i just did a piece on competitive grappling with ufc fight pass kind of embracing polaris which is coming up in a couple months um working on about that when i saw it i was like oh hell to the yes I cannot wait to um, see that event, and I think it's going to be pretty awesome. It's pretty big for the sport. I was um, surprised you even talked about Mayweather. I thought you were going to be like, I got the big news today. Polaris <laughs> UFC fight pass. And I'm telling you, man, I, <laughs> it, it, it's there, and I probably will put something else together as we get closer to the um, to the event, but I definitely am looking forward to that. Um, let's see. What else did I do this? The Kobe Covington piece is very good. Kobe Covington is my boy. Um, he's, he's, I love how he said he's putting everybody on the embarrassment tour. I think he's going to be something awesome. So we'll see what he does over the next few months. I think he's a real threat. And also did another piece on Aaron Pico um, and his debut this week. I got to get that up by the end of this week. But, man, he's, I think it's going to be a big moment. And I think that this guy's a star in the making. Yeah, I, I'm just with, with some professionalism. Somebody who knows how to answer a question directly, look somebody in the eye when they talk, show up on time, and complete sentences without calling someone a name or questioning their character. Like, you know, I understand that sells. I understand you have those feelings, but we're still in a business, guys. You, you, you got to mix in some, some professionalism and some maturity with that, too. And you got to answer the tough questions. It's easy to answer the, yeah, you're so great, or you think you're the best. When it comes time to the tough questions, we need those answers, too. We need you front and center for that, too. We definitely do. We definitely do. So, as always, man, we appreciate everyone who has taken the time to listen to our show. Be sure to like us on YouTube, share us across social media, Facebook and LinkedIn, or and Twitter as well. So, um, check us back. We'll be here next week, again, to continue talking about MMA and talking about the fallout from this weekend's show. Um, Schwan, thank you again, man. We'll be back next week to have another great um, edition of our podcast. Thank you, sir. No problem. Good night, guys. <laughs>